Good morning. If you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 2, and we're going to be studying verses 11 through 15. Um, if you're new here, welcome. Were um, you all brave the cold, which came in very strongly? Um, before I read, I want to reiterate that uh, tonight is an awesome opportunity for us to thank Juanita for all that she's done. I have worked you know, full-time for um, not very long, a month, and Juanita does a lot. <laughs> I knew she did a lot before um, in my role as an elder, but um, she really holds everything together And so, at this church. So please join us tonight, 6 o'clock, um, and it's a great time to fellowship and be together. So... Uh, that'll be in the ridge room. Ridge room. All right. Let's read Titus 2, verses 11 through 16. The word of God says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's ask the Lord for help. Father, your, your grace should captivate us, should call us to worship, to wonder, to live, to fight, to be zealous for good works. Your grace is amazing. I ask God that you would help us see the wonder of your grace. What you've done for us. Help me God um, to make this passage clear. May your word ring true and shine forth and convict our hearts God um, so that if anyone who hears and is not dependent on you for your grace for, for their hope and their life, that they would turn to you even in this hour, God. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Finishing up chapter 2 of Titus 2. This passage is about living uh, the Christian life with a 360 degree view of God's grace. It's about proper perspective, having a proper perspective on how God's grace helps us understand both the why and the how um, uh, of doing good works. Gives us a 360 degree view of God's grace. And we need reminders like this, um, these pictures of God's grace, because sometimes 
Christian living feels like, it, it feels like this way. It's, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this way. Um, but it feels like you're living out the old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. You can't see the big picture of God's redemption, what he's doing, because your focus is off. It's misplaced. Your eyes are viewing life wrongly. You're living the Christian life. You know that you're called to do good works, to follow Jesus, but you've forgotten the why. And you've forgotten also how you're going to follow the Lord into this, into this moment. Um, because all you can see is these individual trees. You've got... You've missed the forest for the trees. So you've got all these problems here and now. So there's my, my work tree, and I've got to follow the Lord in that, in that moment. I've got this specific secret sin tree that, that, that's over there. And then there's my spouse tree, and there's my, my physical health tree, or my aging tree, and there's my loneliness tree. And you're walking down this life, through this life, and you know I'm called, you're called to follow Jesus, but you're starting to wonder, how am I going to be able to do this? And why am I even doing this? Where's the power to do, to do this? And if that's where you are, and I think oftentimes, maybe even every day, we, can be, we need this reminder. If that's where, you're, where you are, um, you need something that can help you climb above the, the canopy um, the canopy of this present moment and give you some height and give you some perspective. You need a 360 degree view, an unhindered view of God's grace as it shapes all of life, shapes all of your life, past, present, and future. And this is a matter of urgency, I think, for us, because if we don't see how God's grace is totally at work in in all of time, if we don't have that full display of God's grace, for one, you might live in constant fear, wondering if you've got this grace, if this grace is yours, or you might pollute the grace, forget the grace of God, pollute it with your own works, as if your works are um, on their own saving you. You may, or you may um, deny the present power of God's grace as it's working in your life and you may ignore the command that you're to be zealous for good works and just say, well, it doesn't matter. I prayed that prayer at that one time and so I'm coasting easy. We are needy people and and the thing that we need most in this world is to see the full display of God in his grace as revealed in his word. So let's take, a th- this passage shows us, let's take this 360 degree view of God's grace. We're climbing up that watchtower and we'll see how grace, that it appeared, that it's present, it's right with me, and it's future, it's ahead, pointing me to this, the, the Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you turn around, First of all, and you look behind you, Paul wants you to see that God's grace has already appeared. 
He first wants you to see that God's grace has already appeared. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, past tense, bringing salvation for all people. This is a singular act. It's an act that happened in time and space, and it's specifically referring to a moment a little over 2,000 years ago approximately, the, the appearance of Jesus into the world. We don't view this past event in ambiguity or uncertainty. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ are clearly attested to. They're clearly confessed. We have them accounted in his word. We have them proclaimed here by Paul in his word. And it says that this grace brings salvation. So it's not only attested to historically. It appeared historically. This, this Christ, this Jesus appeared historically, um, which it is, right? But this death and resurrection is described here and entirely throughout the New Testament. It's not described, as far as I can tell, in any other way. It's described as a saving act, a saving act for humanity. Paul confidently says that in verse 11. This grace brings salvation for all people. God's grace is saving grace. It's filled with the power to save. And what does Paul mean by all people? Is that universalism? No. If you look contextually, Prior to this passage, you see instructions given to the, the church in Crete. This, this, is, this is written to the church in Crete, to Titus, who's kind of like a pastor of a church there. And you see a diverse set of Christians. You see old Christians and young Christians and male and female. And you see different classes. You see slave and free. So the immediate context implies that God's grace is accessible to anyone from any tribe, any tongue, any nation, any social class, any family upbringing. God's grace has appeared bringing salvation to all people. And that aligns perfectly with the teachings of Christ himself. If you remember the Great Commission, when Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, in Matthew 28, um, specifically in verse 19, after saying, all authority has been given to me, to Christ, in heaven and on earth, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There is no limit to who you should give this call to. It brings salvation for all people. And that's, I think, an easy and maybe just a common thing for us because we live in a melting pot. Um, but um, especially in, in Paul's day, um, and I think even today, we, 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 the, 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 the clear reality is that this is an accessible gospel. And it also perfectly aligns with the picture that we see um, at the end of time or in, in heaven in Revelation 5. So Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all nations, 
Paul says the gospel is salvation or brings salvation for all peoples. And then at the end, at the end in Revelation 5, 9, John, he's given a vision and he looks in the throne room of heaven. And, and, and in, in heaven, there's these elders and they're singing this song to Jesus. They're saying, saying worthy are you, talking about Jesus and what he has done. And what they say Jesus did is they say that he ransomed a people for God from every tribe and tongue and language or language and people and nation. So the evidence is that in heaven, it's not going to be Americans worshiping Jesus all by themselves. It's going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. This is an accessible gospel. So now um, you're looking back, but... Don't, don't look back at this now as an observer. I want, we're looking back, right? We've turned around and we've seen this past act of salvation that Christ has brought for all people. Don't look just as an observer. Take this personally now. Take this personally. Apply it to your life. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation... The appearance of God's grace in Christ, that pastime, is what you look to, what we look to, what anyone who trusts in Christ, anyone who is saved looks to for all of time, marking your entrance into the people of God. That one event. Christians do not refer to multiple events multiple moments, we refer to one saving, one sweeping event, the death and the resurrection of Christ. He died to pay for your sins. He rose to defeat the power of sin and that sin and death held over you. And his sacrifice needs no improvement, no alteration. One event, perfect for all time, doesn't need to be reduced if you're trusting in Christ right now, or if you right now in your heart, if you surrender your life to Christ right now, you've got life. You're saved. You have salvation from Christ based on that one act of Christ. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. His life was slain for your life. He rose, defeating the power of sin and death, His resurrection guarantees your hope of a resurrection. Death, sin, don't have power over you anymore. One event for all of time. Take it personal. Don't look as an observer. If you put your just trust in Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, this salvation that appeared in the past is yours right now. All right, so we've looked back behind us. And what do we see? We see the appearing of God's grace. One act for all of time, the appearing of God's grace in Christ. But now if you turn around, you're going to reorient yourself forward, right? Because we don't live looking back. We live looking forward. We're walking, we're walking forward. Notice, though, as you turn around, Paul wants you to see, as you turn around, it doesn't matter if you turn to your right or to your left, the grace that you saw back there 
is following you. It's still there. You can't, it, you maybe got good peripheral vision, but it's still there and it's just right here now. It's right here now. Look at, look at verse 12. So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, godly, and upright lives in this present age. So I'm in this present moment now. I looked back, and as I turn around, I see this grace is still here. It hasn't, it hasn't just left in the past. It's still here presently. In other words, it's got present implications for my life right now. That grace. And this is really the heart of the passage, right? This is where the rubber hits the road, because we are people in the present. And the Bible was written for people in the present moment. And the, the Cretan church, they're in the present moment. What do you see in the present moment? First of all, in the Christian life, you see an expectation that Christians do good works. What you don't see in the present moment is a statement that obedience, following Jesus, being zealous for good works, is anyway optional or necessary. And this is where so many views of God's grace can get twisted and skewed um, and completely changed transformed into a something other than the grace of God in Christ that we saw back there. So we have to be really careful. So first of all, if I say, you, you know, hear me say that um, this is an optional, this is a necessary, um, you might say, well, that can't be true because I, I'm saved by grace, so I can't really be expected to do good works. That would be adding something. That would be adding something, right? Or if I'm commanded to do good works that follow this saving event of grace, then that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. I need something more, so I'm not really fully, fully saved. And, and, and one, view, one view could lead us to deny the, 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 the need to, to um, follow Jesus and see this as an expectation. And the other could lead us to deny the grace of God and think that I'm just going to follow Jesus by my power and I'm going to save myself. One could lead us to just forget it all. I have this present, I have this past moment. It doesn't really matter what happens now. And the other one could say, well, this moment is all that matters and I'm just going to work, work at it by my own bootstraps. And both of them are errors. They're a misunderstanding of how grace works in the Christian. Because Paul says here, in the present moment, yeah, there's commands to do good works. You can't get around it. But those commands find their equipping power in the grace of God. What he commands, he will supply. Paul's word for grace in the present moment is training. This grace that appeared is training. And it indica- what that word indicates, I think, first of all, is that grace isn't stopping, right? In the, it, it's, not, it's not just back there. It's still active, um, but it's also doing something in me. 
It's doing something. It's taken me somewhere. It's actively working in you. It's actively training you. And he says specifically it's training you to do in two different ways. And, and, and you, you need to understand both of these ways because you can't have one without the other. The first is it's training you to deny or to literally say no. It's training me to say no, to deny that former way of living. What I used to love Paul calls it ungodliness and worldly passions. So ungodliness, literally anything that is opposed to the nature and character of God and his ways. Anything out of step with that? And, and, the, and the second thing, the worldly passions, is that it's, it's just a really good descriptor of our sin-inherited condition. All right? It's a, just, just a good descriptor of our sin-inherited condition. I got passions. You got passions. Neutral term. He's going to use a similar synonym later on, being zealous for good works. It's just a neutral term. The problem is not that I have, these, have a desire. Being a Christian doesn't make me a, um, a vegetable. I got these passions. But the problem is they're worldly passions. I'm going after all the, the wrong things. Um, these passions, it's the view that this life, this present moment, is all that I've got to live for. There's really nothing else. It's a eat, drink, for tomorrow we die kind of moment. That's how we are kind of living, that, we, that we view, we're doing when we're living for our worldly, worldly passions. This is all that matters. But when God's grace appeared, bringing salvation, he, uh, he, he gave us a new calling. He's initiating us. And it's a calling that says, you got something better to live for now. You don't eat, drink, tomorrow you die. Christ is raised. There's hope of the resurrection. You got something to live for now. Don't just focus your passions on what you can get out of this life. So it redefines for us. When God's grace, when it appeared, and I believed, and I'm living now, redefines for me the present moment. What life is really living, like living now, orienting my passions and desires. So it's training me to deny, and it's training me to now to live. Not only are we denying, and this is where you can't have one without the other. I'm saying no to that past self, and I'm saying yes to this new self. Living, self-controlled. You've heard that before for the past four weeks. Self-controlled. Uprightly and godly lives. One commentary thinks that the reason Paul uses those three terms there is because one could refer to your your handling of your own body, self-control, upright, referring to your handling of other people in the community, and godliness, referring to the way that you relate to God. And that could be, they're all interlinked, and they're all uh, interlinked with the understanding that it's grace that is doing this. It's God's grace that is training me to live upright, godly, self-controlled life. Now, if we get to this point and there's some doubts in your heart, for example, I don't feel like I'm being trained. What I did last night doesn't show that I'm 
being trained. I'm not seeing improvement. I'm not seeing, I've got this besetting sin and it is just kicking my tail. So I understand this command, but where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of this grace training me? Charles Spurgeon, he was, I think, maybe hypothetically asked this um, question, and and, uh, he gave a really good response, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'd be happy to share it with you if if you'd like. But the late preacher, he said, if you say... I cannot make this change. I cannot be trained, in other words. I cannot be, I'm, I'm, not, I'm failing in this. Who said you could? The scripture, and he's referring to Titus 2.12, the scripture which we have quoted speaks not of what man will do, but what God will do. It is God's promise, and it is for him to fulfill in his, his own it's for him to fulfill his own engagements. So the call is, in, in and through this all, looking back, I saw grace. At the present moment, I see grace. Even in fear and wonder, where do I turn to in this present moment? Trust in God's grace. He's training you. And he'll keep training you. So we look back, we saw grace, orient ourselves forward, and that past grace presently training me, and now Paul gives a third direction to fix our eyes. He wants you to look ahead into the distance and see that past grace, this present grace, is providing you a hope filled future look at verse 13 waiting for so we live in this present age new verse but same thought waiting for or while waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ so this passage says keeps building right from past to present to future, as you live in the present age, you're not just stagnant. You live awaiting your blessed hope. Those two words are really special. The first one is describing the emotion you should be feeling on the day, when, on this day, when you see Jesus again. If you're in Christ, this is a happy day. It's a blessed day. And hope refers not just to I hope it refers to a a moment, an event, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's our blessed hope, namely the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who appeared, is going to one day reappear. That's the promise. However, the the future appearing is going to be of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to be full of glory. In other words, full display of God's greatness for everybody to see. Unveiled. 
It's not going to be like the first appearance. It's not going to be like the appearance on that one day. When Jesus first appeared, he had no form or majesty that we should pay any attention to him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. That's what the prophet Isaiah says about the Savior. Oh, man, though. When he returns, there's not going to be a question as to his power and authority. No question to the power and authority, the glory, the full display of Jesus' deity and his humanity on display. The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's two senses in which we can think of the return of Christ. One is of our, where, of, for the people of God as a happy day, and one is of those who are opponents of Christ, and that's not going to be a happy day. It's not going to be a wrathful day. This passage doesn't talk about that side of it. It talks about what saints see. And I know that because this present grace isn't only providing me with a hope-filled future, as we see this passage. This present grace points me to the embodiment of grace, my Savior, He's going to keep on. So, so we've looked back and we saw grace. And we look in our present moment and we see grace, the grace of God still at work. And we look ahead and what do we see? Jesus. We see grace, not in an abstract way. We see the one who won our salvation. It's not abstract, realized. We see our Savior, Jesus himself, his full glorious glory on display. But there's a specific thing. Don't, don't just stop there with me. There's a specific thing Paul wants you to see. It's like he's saying, keep looking ahead. We get to the end of the 13, and Paul's saying, don't stop there. Keep looking ahead. You gotta look harder. You gotta look deeper. You gotta see, I, wanna see, I want you to see one really specific thing about this one that you're going to see. Look ahead to your blessed hope Focus your eyes on one really specific aspect of this blessed hope. Look at verse 14. And verse 13, the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what, do you, what does he want you to see when you look ahead? Paul says, see the God who is your savior. See the God who is your savior. Look at his hands. Look at his brow. He's your savior. His body, it was broken for you. That's a happy day. That grace that appeared back then, that grace that's present with me now, that future that I'm looking to, and as I look into the future, Paul's pointing me back and he's saying, look back to your Savior. He graciously appeared. He's the one who saved you in the first place. 
So we're looking ahead to our blessed hope, but it's almost as if Paul's saying, as you see him, don't forget what he did. Look back around. He first appeared. That's really helpful, I think. Maybe, for example, if you're, again, on this topic of fear, maybe if you're looking ahead in fear and you're wondering, is that day going to be good for me? Am I good enough? He's coming in glory. How is he not going to judge me? How is his return going to be good for you? If that's you right now, keep looking. Look at who's returning. This Jesus gave himself for you. He's a savior. He's got scars on his body that he bore for you and me. It's going to be a good day because of that day. And it's going to be a good day because of this day. He's presently working in me. And it's going to be a good day on that day because my, 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 my Lord, my King, died for me and saved me. He's got scars He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. He saves us from the snares, the things that could condemn us before a holy God. He rescues you from your former life. He's a great redeemer. And he gave himself to purify you, to be his people, a people for his own possession, a prized possession, a special possession. Possession. If you're an Old Testament fan, this is an Israel, I've chosen you kind of possession. Not because of anything good you did, but because I chose you. You're my people. You're my prize. And he's purifying us to be zealous for good works. So now, in Christ, he is purifying me to have a different kind of desire. As opposed to giving into worldly passions... I can be zealous for good works. So this day is a blessed day. This is a happy, happy occasion. If your trust is in Christ, you're not seeing a wrathful judge. You see the Savior who gave himself for you. The call then of the passage is in the light of past grace, present grace, future grace, the appearing of our God and Savior, is we should live right now in the light of that day. Be zealous for good works. I think that's why in verse 15, Paul says to Titus, declare these things, teach and rebuke with all authority. Why would you want a message that, that, that could skew the truth of this kind of grace, that could that could say that living for the world is, is, is the real life. I think that's a big message that was happening in Crete. A lot of excess. Why would you do that? Why would you let the grace of God be polluted in that way? And teach these things. Teach all the things that make this gospel 
beautiful, that show the display of the glory of this God. I can be selfless because he gave himself for me. I can serve because he served. Teach these kind of things because these kinds of things promote the best news in the whole world. The truth that the grace that appeared is working now is taking me to glory. This is a call to live as a Christian. Live reliant on his grace. That's what it means. That's what it means to live as a Christian. Zealous for good works, living in this present age, looking for glory all the time, reliant on his grace. Let's pray. And oh God, we know that we we're dependent for you to work. God, would you by your spirit work in us a resolve to be a people that are zealous for good works. May we never forget what Christ has done. May we never forget what he is doing. May we never deny or ignore or live for anything other than his return, the one who died for us, the one who gave himself for us. That'll be a good day. By your grace, God, may we be a people that are trusting in you, zealous for good works. In Christ's name we pray, amen.